But church, how would you, what would you think if I told you that nothing matters, that everything is pointless, and that life has no meaning? Have you ever felt that way? Uh, you, you probably have at some point in your life. And the reason you felt that way is because it's true. Now, I know that's probably not the positive, encouraging message you were hoping to get this morning. It's true that life doesn't have meaning or purpose. Um, it's hard to believe that as you're younger because there's more things to try and you're, there's excitement. You know, anytime there's something new, it's exciting. And so you try that out, but then you get to the end of it and it gets old and you have to go find something new. And the older you get, the more things you've tried and the more you've realized, I tried that, didn't really do a whole lot for me, so you have to move on to something new, and they get boring. Now, you know that's true because you've experienced it, and there are things that you've already gotten bored with. Am I right? So many people are unhappy, and the last couple of years haven't helped. You know, a global pandemic, some of the most, you know, tense elections that I've ever been a part of, but I've only been here for... 40 years, so just tensions between people. Did you know this, church? Did you know that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States? In 2019, it was reported that somebody died by suicide every 11 minutes. But that statistic jumps much higher for people between the ages of 15 and 29. It becomes the fourth leading cause of death. Now, I wish I could say that surprised me, but in, in a way it really doesn't. Because when you feel like you have no hope, when you feel like life is devoid of meaning and significance, when you feel like things are, are pointless, it becomes difficult to cope with that and to live. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's go to Scripture. If you've got your Bible this morning, we're going to go to the Old Testament, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, such a tremendously encouraging book, Ecclesiastes is. So Ecclesiastes, we're going to start off in chapter 1, verse 2. Now here's what Solomon writes. He says this. He says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. He says, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toll under the sun? Generations come, generations go. The earth remains forever. Let's skip down to verse 8. All things are wearisome, more than I can say. The eye never has enough of seeing. The ear never enough feel of its hearing. What has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. He says there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was already here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come, they won't be remembered by those who follow them. See, I told you, everything is meaningless. Life has no point. No one will remember your name. The older you get, sorry, students, the worse it gets. And now you probably know who wrote these verses. A gentleman by the name of Solomon. Um, Solomon was a I, I, I always refer to Solomon as the most interesting man in the world, if you remember those commercials. Super rich, a ladies' man that had its own share of problems. He drove the fastest cars, had the biggest mansions, tried everything, experienced it all. And his, his takeaway from that 
was everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And if you feel bothered by this sermon, well, you should. Skip down to verse 14, Ecclesiastes 1.14. He says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, when you read Ecclesiastes, I believe this, this one verse really unlocks the significance of the whole book for us. I want you to see again, verse 14. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. If you want to highlight that in your Bible, you're welcome to. Under the sun. Solomon says this, everything under the sun is meaningless. And Solomon would know. I'm take his word because he's tried it all. And my experience echoes his experience to a limited degree. But Solomon's point is this, to find meaning, to make sense of life, we have to look beyond the sun. You have to look beyond creation. We would say you have to look to God himself. Now, here's something that I want us to think about today, church. And I want you to really let this sort of, sort of percolate down into your soul. Our culture that we are immersed in continually tries to push us away from the very thing that gives us purpose and meaning and value and significance. We live in a culture that says, look, you be distracted by all these other things, and we're going to talk about these other things in a minute. These things will give you meaning and value and purpose. But it pushes us away from what I believe and what Solomon is saying is the very thing that gives you meaning and value and significance. And then our culture wants to wonder, well, why are so many people unhappy? Why is suicide the fourth leading cause of death for those between the ages of 15 and 29 and the 11th cause of death after that? Well, let's scratch our heads. Why does this happen? Well, maybe it's because we've pushed people, pushed people, pushed people away from the very thing that provides meaning and significance and hope. Our culture, unfortunately, is becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. Um, they shame Christians. They make Christians look foolish. And can we be honest? Some of that ownership is on us. Sometimes we make ourselves look foolish for the things that we do. But let me tell you what I find really discouraging, and this is nothing new. We've talked about this before. But the fact that so many students that are raised in churches, when they come of age, the fact that so many leave the church, and this is why that's so discouraging for me, because I know they're walking away from the very thing that grounds a place of meaning, significance, and value. And we've looked at statistics, but I was reading some new statistics yesterday, and they said this. On the conservative side, students raised in church, about 50% of them will walk away once they graduate. On the other end of that, it's about 90%, some estimates say. So we could probably fall somewhere in the middle at about 70 to 75%. That's discouraging, church. And so we've been in a series called Unapologetic, where we don't apologize for speaking the truth, and for loving the truth, but we do that with humility, and we do it with respect. We give it an answer for the hope that we have within us. We defend the reasonableness of Christianity. Now, here is where I get some pushback sometimes, and this is what I get, and maybe you've kind of been there at some point along the way as we've journeyed through this series, where people will say, well, you know what, I don't need all this apologetic stuff. I've got a Bible, that's all I need. That's great. That, that's where I start. Whenever I'm sharing my faith with somebody, and I hope you share your faith with people, I start with Scripture, and I tell them what God has done. But what if they do this? What if they say, well, I don't believe any of that stuff, and they, I can't do this with the microphone, like, psh, 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 and they walk away. Do you just say, oh, okay, well, bye, have a good life. 
Or do you say, well, no, 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 let me tell you why Scripture is, is, why don't you believe in Scripture? Well, it was written by men, and it's not reliable. Well, actually, let me show you. Yes, it was written by men, but it was also divinely inspired by God. And let me show you the evidence for the reliability of Scripture. Remember, we talked about that. Or what if they say this? Well, you know what? I can't believe in your God because a loving God would not have let so-and-so die so young, and, and this was a significant part of my life. Well, I understand that, and I've experienced evil too. Let me show you where we can see that a loving God can coexist at the same time with bad things happening. You see, we need God's Word, but I think God's Word will tell us that we have the, the capability to reason and to talk with people. And it's a little bit of extra work on us. We can't have an answer to every question that's asked. But I can do my best to share God's word with people and also to reason with them through their doubts and their difficulties. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been working through a series on apologetics. And so today, for just a few minutes, time's creeping. We've got to get moving. Um, for just, you see your outline. For just a few minutes, we're going to talk about this idea of meaning and value and significance. And so point one is this. We're going to start off with man's search for meaning. Now, out of, I like to read books, and probably within my top ten favorite books is a book called just that title, Man's Search for Meaning, written by a gentleman named Victor Frankl. Frankl, it's really fun to say. He was Jewish. He was a Jewish psychiatrist in Austria. And during World War II, when Nazi Germany rolled through, Victor Frankl found himself in a concentration camp um, in Auschwitz. And he, he was in multiple concentration camps. But during his tenure in these concentration camps, he watched his father die. He watched his mother die. He watched his wife die in the concentration camps. And he, in Victor Frankl, he would later say this, he would write, that man's um, you know, greatest desire is the quest to find meaning in his life. And Frankl noted this, that those that were in the concentration camps, if they didn't have something to hold on to, if they didn't have something internally that provided them with meaning, they would not endure the camps. And if you read his book, you see just the atrocious amounts of evil that he both witnessed and experienced. I can't even describe it. But he noticed that our greatest quest in life is to find meaning. But as Solomon noted, we'll never find that meaning outside of God. It's one of the reasons I think Christianity is true because God provides us with meaning, value, significance, and hope. Without God, life becomes completely absurd. And we live in this void of, of any certain amount of, of meaning or significance. And so I want you to see this. If God isn't there, we, we don't have three things. We have no meaning, which has to do with significance. We have, we, can't know, we have no values or morality. We can't know good, evil, right, and wrong. And we have no hope or purpose, no reason for existing, and no hope for the future. Let's talk about all those three real, real briefly together. If there is no God, then we have no ultimate meaning. So let me ask you this. What does it matter what we accomplish if we die and we rot and one day the world ends and it all comes down to nothing? You know, people struggle to find meaning and significance. So they try to make a name for themselves. They try to author a book. They try to have a Fortune 500 company. They try to make a name for themselves. But if ultimately the end is the universe burns out, what does it ultimately matter? Absolutely nothing. B, if there is no God, there is no ultimate or objective morality. If life ends when we die and there is no God, what does it matter whether you live morally or immorally? 
You might as well live as you please, which is what a lot of people do. If it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. doesn't matter if I step on you to get it done. How do we even know right and wrong in the first place? We've talked about that before. If we don't have a straight line, you can't determine whether the line beside it is crooked. Something has to give us an anchor point for morality. Otherwise, it's just my word against yours. My morality is my morality. Your morality is yours, which is how much of the world lives now because God has been taken out of the picture. Three. If there is no God, there's no ultimate purpose or hope. All purpose and hope becomes an illusion. Life ultimately has no point. There's no end goal. If there is no God, our lives are no different than an animal. You die and you're done. Now let me ask you this. How many of y'all are dog people in here this morning? You're my people, let me tell you. But have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you find Fido sitting on the couch and he's thinking, why am I here? He's talking this out. What's my purpose in life? You ever found your dog in an existential quandary? I have not. Now, you cat people, I know there's some of those in here as well. There's a reason they say all dogs go to heaven. I'll let you draw the implications from that. (laughs) Have you ever noticed when your cat kills a mouse that it just weeps and is like, I just committed murder. I should not have destroyed the poor life of this mouse. He probably has a wife and kids at home. They don't do that, right? But for us as, as people... We long for meaning, for morality, for significance. And I believe this, if God's not there, we have none of that. Ultimately, now you may have, you may make up something in the moment, you know what, I'm enjoying this now, but it has no ultimate significance. And so we have to make sure we understand those two points. But there's some really big stakes, whether God exists or not. And this is what I believe, church. I believe that meaning points us to God. I think there's something in each one of us that longs for there to be more than just the physical world. That is to say, there's something beyond the sun. Did you know this? Countless books are written every year to help people find meaning. Rick Warren's purpose-driven life, whether you love it or, or dislike it, has sold upward of 60 million copies. Why is that? Because people long to find meaning and a reason for being here, to find significance in life. So I want to share with you an argument, and this is a little different way of thinking. Here's the argument. It says this. Two premises that lead to a a conclusion. If God does not exist, life has no ultimate, you can find something in the moment, has no ultimate meaning or purpose. Two, life has ultimate meaning and purpose, therefore God exists. And that's just a, a more fancy way of saying that meaning and value point to the existence of a creator. You see, it seems that within me and within you and the very fabric of who we are, we're built to find meaning and value and purpose and hope. It seems it's a part of what it means to be human. That's why your dog and your cat don't wrestle with these issues. It's innately human. And I think these point us to a creator. But as we said, so much of society wants to pull us away from the idea of God and says, no, 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 he's not there. But with that, we lose meaning, value, hope, purpose. Let me show you some strongholds, church. We've looked at this passage before, 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul writes, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. He says, And we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. When it comes to this topic of man's search for meaning, there are so many strongholds that get in our way. And I'm going to go through these quick because time's time's ticking. I'm going to give you four strongholds that our culture looks to that take us away from the idea 
of God and finding meaning and purpose within him. The first one is this materialism. This is the idea that we find meaning or significance by accumulating stuff. But it's simply a distraction. We have so many chasing after stuff to find contentment or meaning or significance in their life. And unfortunately, it's crept into the church as well. We call this what? The prosperity gospel. Where God is not here to, to really receive glory and also to give you meaning and value and purpose. Instead, God is here to give you stuff, and that stuff is what gives you meaning, value, and purpose. It's not what Scripture says, because Solomon says, there's, everything is meaningless under the sun. But let me be honest with you, church. Whenever I decided to surrender the ministry and become a pastor, I promised this, made this vow, that I would never preach on something and act as though I had it all together. I struggle with materialism sometimes. Because sometimes stuff is fun. And there's nothing wrong with stuff, but it's not going to give you the meaning and purpose and value that you seek. Solomon tried it all. What did he say? Meh. Meaningless. What about, too, another thing that distracts us is self-helpism. Well, what is self-help? Well, it's being better will give me purpose. It's the idea that we can become better people through understanding, through learning, and human effort. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope you desire to become a better person. I do. That's why I'm Christian, because God changes me daily. But the question is, how do we attain it? How do we, in fact, become better people? 2019, over 85,000 books were published on becoming a better person. Self-help is the idea that we find meaning and morality and significance um, and as we, within ourselves, and it's all something that we have that we just got to bring out. Here's my question. Then why isn't the world becoming a better place? If self, 85,000 books in 2019, no telling how many in the past three years, if this stuff works, then why aren't we moving in the right direction instead of seemingly the wrong direction? Because the answer isn't under the sun, as Solomon said, it's beyond it. What's another stronghold? What about pleasure? This is sort of tired, tied to materialism. The idea here is that pleasure gives life meaning. It's about having fun. It's about the experience of the moment. It's about indulging. And our culture likes to indulge, be that in food or drink or drug or, or sexuality. We indulge in a lot of ways as a culture. It's hedonism. If it feels good, do it. Just don't hurt somebody else. But here's what I also know. Anytime I do something immoral, ultimately somebody gets hurt. For one, it's me. And two, everything I do spills over to the life of the people around me. So there is no personal sins that don't hurt somebody else. But here's what I've also found. In people chasing pleasure, and we've been there ourselves at times, we eventually arrive at a place where the pleasure doesn't produce the desired result. It's why when food is our drug of choice, we have to eat a little more. When, when it's alcohol, we have to drink a little more to achieve that desired result. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 2.1. He says, I said to my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself and believe me, Solomon did. But behold, he says, that was also vanity or it was meaningless, we could say. Another stronghold in our culture is naturalism. Naturalism is the idea that the physical world is all there is. That somehow we won the cosmic lottery and everything arranged itself in such a way that life could come from non-life, that meaning and significance could come from non-meaning and significance. And we managed to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and to crawl out of the slime, and you were just incredibly lucky to be here this morning. But the idea that life came from non-life and meaning from non-meaning 
just doesn't make sense. Only God can provide life with ultimate meaning, value, purpose, and hope. Now, again, you can find it temporarily, but it won't last. It's a fleeting moment. But here's what the naturalists or the atheists have to do. They have to steal from God to make sense of life. Because as Viktor Frankl pointed out in Man's Search for Meaning, Solomon says the same thing. Your experience bears on this as well. That you can't live a life feeling meaningless, insignificant, and valueless. People just can't do it. And so what the naturalist or the atheist has to do is either choose to be, um, uh, you know, kind of live in, in two lands of I truly know we're an accident and we have no meaning, value, and purpose, but I'm going to be inconsistent and pretend like we do because they can't live over here. So they have to steal from God who gives meaning and value and purpose and live their lives as though there truly is meaning and morality and purpose in this life. These can only be had in an ultimate way if God is there. Now some good news, church. Let me share with you. It's a meaningful life. The reason you seek after meaning, why am I here? The reason you want to know right from wrong, an issue of values, the reason you want a purpose for existing and to have a future hope, I think, is because God made you exactly that way. Let me read you what Solomon says. This is Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. That's great. But here's the part I want you to see. He's also put eternity in man's heart. God has placed something in you that you desire for something that is only, can only be achieved, quote-unquote, beyond the sun, more than this physical world. A longing that points to God. Now, C.S. Lewis, who puts things much better than I do, he said it this way. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let me say that again. If we find in ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. The Bible is explicit here. There's no meaning, value, purpose, or hope under the sun. We have to look beyond this world to a holy, loving, benevolent God. In fact, listen to what Scripture says. Jesus' words, Luke 12, 6 and 7. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Those are some cheap sparrows. And not one of them is forgotten by God. He says, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So if a single sparrow doesn't fall to the earth without God's knowledge of it, what does that tell you about you? That God knows your name. He knows you intimately. He knows your struggles, your hurts, your habits. Go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You have, you have meaning, value, significance, hope. Why is that? Because you were created in the image of God and what God makes, who God is. It's amazing. Paul would say this in Romans 5.8. But God showed his love for us, me and you and everybody else, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Even in my... 
we all have those things that we hope nobody else ever finds out about. We all have those skeletons in our closet. We all have those seasons of our lives that we would just as soon forget. At our very worst, God loved us, reached out to us, and in fact sent his son to die for us. Now church, we could look at verse after verse after verse. We could stay here all night and into the morning, but here's what we would see over and over and over. All our scripture attests to the very fact that a perfect, holy, loving God cares for you, wants a relationship with you. He knows your name. You matter. He has a plan for your life, and that gives you meaning, value, purpose, and hope. And so I think these things point us to a creator, something in us that desires those things, the fact that meaning, value, hope, and purpose do exist. So where are you at this morning, church? You know, the, the world continually struggles to find meaning and purpose, and it continually pushes us away in the only place that we can find it, and that's in God himself. So maybe you're here and you're struggling. Maybe you're asking the question of, why am I here? What do I matter? Well, here's what I know. Scripture says you matter more than you will ever fully comprehend. Find your worth in Christ, not in anywhere else. Maybe you're looking for meaning or, or purpose or hope under the sun. Maybe you're looking for materialism or in pleasure or in just seeking the accumulation of stuff. You will never find it there. It's always got to be something bigger and better. Scripture says this, that we find our purpose and our meaning and our significance in Christ alone. We've said this all throughout this series. The reason we're Christians is because Christianity is true. And I think meaning and values and purpose point to God himself. Yet think of what we would lose if God wasn't there. I'm thankful that God knows my name. That we're not just acquaintances. The Bible says we're friends. That I have a loving Father. And that makes life worth living even when it's difficult and proves trying at times. And so here's the ultimate question for you this morning. Do you know Him? Do you know God? Or are you trying to find meaning and purpose beyond or within this world instead of looking beyond the sun. My prayer is that you know him and that you enjoy life to the fullest 